Thank you guys. Thanks for the songs. Thanks for worship this morning. And as we continue our worship, there's something I would like to try to start doing as we go into the future. And I haven't done it yet. We've been talking about it for quite a few classes, but I teach the membership class. And, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I would like to recognize those people who decide to be members of our church. So um, that's what I'm going to do right now. We view membership as people becoming committed to a local body of believers, right? Committed to this body, to serve, to worship, to help for one defining purpose, to see God worshiped and glorified. And so I'm thankful that people would step up and come a part of that. It's not that we're a perfect church, but we serve a perfect God. And so if I call your name, I'd just like you to come up so it gives a congregation of people who are members a chance to see you where they might not otherwise, to be able to encourage and fellowship with you, invite you to help, that you might see uh, these people up here and say, oh, yeah, I know them. So you encourage one another, okay? So if you're here today, I, don't, I did it in the first service. I'm doing it in this service. I don't know everybody who showed up. Um, but we're going to try this out, okay? So if you're here, please come on up. Tyler Norris, Sarah Day, Brianna Lines, Madeline Steinley, and Sonia, Sonja Steinley. Oops. Did I say that right? How do you say it? Sonia. All right. Fair enough. Sonia. <clears throat> So is it spelled right then? Yes. I just not very good. All right. <laughs> Madeline. So Sonia and Madeline. Tyler. Right. I can fix that. Brianna. Sorry. Brianna. Sorry. And Sarah. So some of these Lynn did on Saturdays. I didn't do them, but uh, these are new members to our church. So I wanted you to welcome them. Thank you guys very much. We're good. Thank you, guys. It may or may not be a work in progress on how to accomplish this well, but it is important that you know that it's, we see it important to be a member of a local body. I don't know if you're a member here or maybe you're a member, had been a member somewhere else and this is just a transition period while you're in college or whatnot, but if you'd like to call this home, we just encourage you to, to get involved, be committed. Stop sitting on the outskirts. Let's do something for the Lord. As I get to preach this morning, we're going to preach out of uh, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. It's something that's been in your heart. We're also going to worship in communion this morning. So if you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. As I'm going through... Um, as I started thinking about what to preach about, this is something that has come up in our Bible study several times. And when you read the Word, um, what we learn from it is, is in Hebrews, Paul writes, or the writer of Hebrews writes, that the Word of God is living and active. That it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And sometimes when you're reading scripture, a verse or some words in that verse will jump out at you and say, yep, that's for me. I need that now. It's not that you don't need all of it, 
This is the way God's working in your life. For me, it was this. It was chapter 6, verse 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It just caught my eye. What is this idea of being contentment or being content? And so I want to read just, just the passage here and talk about what it looks like to be content in your life. He says, teach us and urge, the, or teach and urge these things, Timothy. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved and of the mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But for those who desire to be rich, fall in temptation into a snare, into many sinless or senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I'm going to skip down to, to verse 17. He says, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'm going to pray real quick. God, I pray that you would just speak with us this morning through your word, that we would learn it and be able to apply it to our lives, Lord, that we would be a people completely content, not looking for what this world has to offer us, but what you have already offered us. <laughs> True life. I got to pray that that would be what happens this morning, Lord, that you would be valued above all things. In Jesus' name. Amen. What's true about Timothy and Paul is Paul picks up Timothy in chapter 16 of Acts. He leads Timothy to the Lord, and Timothy is young, so Timothy goes along with Paul on his adventures. As he travels around, he'll commend Timothy in Philippians, saying, he's, he's my faithful worker in the gospel of Christ. And when we get to Timothy, you'll see in the beginning of Timothy that he says, Timothy, I need you to stay in Ephesus. And it's through this letter that Paul writes Timothy that I think we get the secret of what contentment is. And so it caught my eye and asked me this question of me. And I wanted you to ask the question of yourselves. Are you content? Are you content with this life that God has given you? See, it's obvious through, the, through Timothy. So Timothy is going to stay and be a pastor of a church in Ephesus. Paul writes to Timothy saying, these are some things that are going on that you need to take care of, some circumstances in which you're going to live with being a pastor of this church. And then there are these things. We'll walk through Timothy and we'll just kind of see some of those things. The church needs instruction against false teachers in the first chapter, people who are going against the doctrine or the, the gospel that Paul is writing for their own personal gain i.e. chapter 6 when we get there. Some people are using this form of godliness to gain, for gain, for their own value, for their own personal worth. 
But he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, Timothy. The church needs instructions on false teachers. Leadership needs to be lived out to be a replica of a godly life. You need to live a life, Timothy, in such a way that people can see it and replicate it. He needs to instruct order in the church. There's evidently much disorder going on in this church. He's instructing on what an elder and a deacon ought to be. What do those qualifications look like? He has instruction on women in the church that seemingly are obviously a distraction to the worship that's going on. There's instruction on how the old should treat the young. There's instruction on how we should care for widows in the church. There's instructions on how slaves and masters how to operate together. And there's instructions to the rich. And Jesus will have much to say about the rich when he's talking, not saying not to store up your treasures in heaven, but store up your treasures, or not store, store up your treasures on earth, but in heaven. James is also, when he writes his letters, going to talk about the rich man and their heart, how they store all things up and where moth and rust can destroy, how they take advantage of the workers, where those workers can't even pay for their needs. These are the heart of a rich man. And I'm not going to take it away. 1 Timothy 6 is absolutely talking about the rich and the heart of a rich person. And in the middle of that, he's going to say to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is mentioned eight times in this letter, and it suggests a piety, a devout practice to something, an appropriate belief in God. And contentment is this. Contentment is, it's a satisfaction of one's circumstances and position in life. The Greek word will translate out to self-satisfaction, self-sufficiency. So when he combines it there in this, chat, this verse 6, godliness and contentment are great gain. Well, what is gain? Gain is something that's valuable, something valuable for your life. And contentment is being satisfied right where you're at and whatever God's given you. Only you can say and think about where that is. If you're a student, if you're a parent, if you're a worker, you're a son or daughter, husband or wife, whatever circumstance you're in. I believe that's the case because Timothy is in charge of a church that has much disorder, and Paul's instructing him on how to deal with that disorder. And the instruction is this to stand, to stand on the truth, to preach sound doctrine. And to be content, to be content with what you have and where you're at. The same word is used in Paul, by Paul in 2 Corinthians in 9, 8 and 9. And I just want to read that verse to you so you can see it just a little bit. Because this is what Paul says to them. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Sufficiency is the same word as contentment. The same word used. So in other words, are you satisfied? Are you sufficiently taken care of? And how is Timothy to know that that's the truth and that he ought to walk in that way? How is he supposed to train himself in godliness and be content? This is what Timothy is about, this book. 
It's knowing one thing I see as I read it. It's something that's intertwined out through the pages of Timothy. I want you to read it with me. I want you to see it. I want you to understand it because there is something that's all satisfying and all sufficient in your life. And you have it. And it's of great value. It will cause great gain in your life. So if you have your Bible, you can read with me. I'm just going to track through 1 Timothy here. I'm just going to show you what Paul keeps telling to Timothy over and over again before he gets to chapter 6. In chapter 1, verse 11, he says, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God for which I have been entrusted, Paul says, I've been given this gospel, this good news, and it's glorious. He's telling this to Timothy, by the way. Remember that. Remember, he is instructing somebody to live a content, godly life in the midst of a chaotic circumstance. Disorder. In verse 15 of chapter 1, he's going to say, The same is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. What do you see there? What do you see from the heart of Paul? Who he believes God is and who does he believe he is? We must have a proper view of who God is and we must have a proper view of who we are before him. This must be true of your life. This is what you confess, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are part of it. There must have been a moment and a time or a thought that came through you at one point and said, I am undeserving of this, but God, I need you. God, I'm so thankful that you came and died for my sin and rose again. Because without it, I have no hope. Right? You had some sort of inclining towards God this way because he worked in your heart and in your life. And you either prayed and you asked for forgiveness, asked God to come into your life to have a relationship with him. Or you refused. But without that relationship, there is no hope. Without that relationship, there is no contentment. He says in chapter 2, 3 through 7, he's going to say, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior. He, he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I'm hoping that you see the common thread here. What's going on? What is he instructing Timothy to know, to be content, to be satisfied, to be fully sustained. What's he telling him? In chapter 3, verse 16, great indeed, we confess, is the, is the mystery of godliness. He's going to express to him this mystery. What is the mystery of godliness? What does it mean to be godly? What does it mean to be content? Well, he says this, he, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What is he telling Timothy? What does he tell him to remember? What does he tell him to think about in the midst of all the circumstances around his life, all the disorder? What's he telling him? In chapter 4, verse 9, he's going to say, Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. You guys, it's the gospel. 
I may sound like a broken record when I'm here. I may sound like it when I teach a Bible study, but I will continue to say the same thing until it happens in your life. This Jesus Christ is of utmost greatest value. There is nothing greater. There is nothing that you're going to do today or tomorrow or for anything else that's going to be greater than that knowledge of knowing who he is. There's no amount of money that you're going to make. There's no amount of friends that you're going to have. Things that you're going to accumulate. They're going to outvalue Jesus Christ. Because he has the answer to the one thing that will plague us all if we don't have him, which is death. Have you ever thought about that? No matter what happens in your life, we all share the same fate. You share the same fate. We all go six feet under in a box. There is no answer to that unless Jesus Christ came and died for you and rose again. And it is true. This is what happened. This is of utmost value. No greater value than this. And I'm convinced of it. I want you to be convinced of it, though I can't convince you of it. I'm just telling you what it is. And if you want to be godly, if you want to live a content life, part of that is going to be your remembrance and thinking about this gospel. That only when you prayed and bowed your heart before God and you said, Lord, I need you, I want you to know that the, the enormity and the majesticness of all the gospel, that's like the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's bigger than that. And Romans, Paul is going to write it as the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Contemplate that for a moment. And whatever disarray your circumstances are, God has put his power upon this planet, upon his people, and upon those people who accepted it. And it is big. It is so big. It is so big that when you contemplate it and think about it, you can have contentment in your life. And when you remember it, you can have a godly life. How do I know that? Where am I headed? I want to take you to Philippians chapter 4 and just talk about something real quickly. Paul's in prison. He's writing to the Philippian church. And in chapter 4, he says some stuff that I think we may have all heard as Christians and thought about. I just want to look at it one more time with you. In chapter 4, verse 4, I'll start. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always, guys. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Set your request, or let your request be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, or whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And let's continue on just a little bit more. This is how he follows that up. Those are verses you probably have heard and maybe even been people told you to pray about. You know, don't be anxious about anything. Just pray, right? 
And the peace of God is transcendent all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds, Christ Jesus. That is true. But let's just read on here. Maybe we can get some more insight of what it means to be content and what that looks like. In verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What did Paul have to learn? Paul had to learn to be content. You also, we all also need to learn to be content. It's a process in which takes place in your life. And that process starts with some instruction that he gives us in Philippians. One, pray. Thank God. Now, I know it's not always easy to thank God because we base our thankfulness on God on the circumstances of our life. But God's always to be thanked, always to be praised, always to be talked to and prayed to. There's some more instruction. What you think about, what, what your mind thinks about is important, right? What's honorable, what is pure, what is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, what's worthy of praise? If you think about all those words, what is the thing that is most excellent, most honorable, most lovely, most pure? What is that thing? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. I asked the first service, like, how do you guys learn? How do we learn it? Well, how do you learn? By reading? Are you a reader? That's how you accumulate knowledge? Do you learn by observing? Do you watch other people and then you're like, okay, I know what to do now? Do you write? Some people listen and they write and that's how it sticks in their head. Some people are doers. They have to actually build and frame a wall before they know how to frame How is it you learn? Because that's what you need to take and apply to learn to be content. And real contentment is based on your relationship and your remembrance of the gospel. So you're going to see a few things here. One is you need to remember the gospel. Actually spend time remembering what God did for you, remembering who you are before him. You need to pray. You need to supplicate things to God and say, God, I need this, I need this. I'm thankful for all that you've given me. God, I don't want to be anxious about these things. I want you. Because this life, you guys, will leave you empty and wanting. But Jesus Christ will completely satisfy you. He'll be completely sufficient for you. But we have to learn how to do that. That's what I learned about contentment. And I know there's different levels of that, right? Some people are discontent all the time. Some people go through stages of discontentment or anxiousness or angst. But there's peace to be found. There's peace to be had. And you can learn how to have it. You can learn just as much as you can keep living a life that's godly and content. You can remember. You can pray. You can actually think with your mind, 
what is good and excellent and pure? When is the last time you spent time thinking about that? I mean, really contemplating what is excellent, what is commendable. Because I bet almost with certainty we spend enough time filling our minds with other things that are not. And then we ask God, why am I not content? Why is my life spinning out of control? Why do I feel anxious all the time? And it is because we need to learn. We need to learn to be content. And you can do it. God has given you the tools to do it. He's sufficient for you. And you might say, well, I'm too weak. I'm not, I don't know the Bible well enough. Well, that's where God shows his strength in your weakness. You have to start. You start have to contemplate. You've got to start praying. You've got to start remembering who this God is. Because in the end, you guys, there's one thing that is remaining outside of those things that you need to think about to be content. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is going to write this in 13 through 15. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Chapter 3, starting in 13. Brothers, I do not consider it that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal of the prize. I look upward to the call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you do that? Or are you just stuck in all your circumstances? Brothers and sisters, we're going somewhere better. This is not our home. And I know there are things I have never experienced that probably you've experienced, and it might be like, well, Sean, I don't think I can do that. Well, we can't. We need Christ. With Christ, we can. With the gospel, we can. When we actually commit our lives to start learning how to do it, how to follow Christ and be content. I can't make you do that. I can only point you in the direction, and hopefully you'll see it, that it's how valuable it really is because the promise in Scripture is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Where are you headed? Where are you going? You know, this morning we're going we're gonna to commune together. Just like the early church did, we're going to, we're going to take a cracker representing the bread. We're going to take a juice representing the wine. Remember, this is Jesus Christ. I don't know where everybody is this morning. Some new faces here. There's, a, there's something that's of great gain and value for your life, and that is knowing who Jesus Christ is. If you do not know God, very God, let me introduce you to him. His name is Jesus Christ, and he came on your behalf to this earth to die for you, to conquer death and his resurrection and by therefore giving you hope for life evermore. Stop putting your hope in this life. Stop getting wound up in every conversation. Everything that this world has to offer is against that. I remember this. My dad, I, when I grew up, I raised bird dogs. And my dad used to tell me this. He said, God, uh, Sean, if... If you're not training your bird dog, it's training you. I don't know if you guys have ever worked with a dog and trained them, but this is true. If you're not training your dog, he's training you.
Listen, guys, here's my point. If you're not taking the time to train yourself to be godly and content, you're getting trained by something else. You're getting trained by this world. Stop being trained by the world. We have something far better of greater value. As we come to the table, I just want you to spend time remembering, right? We remember who Christ was, who Christ is, that he came and gave his life for us. When we read in 1 Corinthians 11, what we see is that we ought to take time to examine our hearts. That together as we take the bread and we take the wine or we take the cracker, we take the juice, the important is, is what's going on in here and in here. Examine your heart. Where are you with Christ today? Remember what he's done for you. Offer that to somebody else. Offer hope to somebody else. As the guys come forward and we worship by giving out the bread and the wine, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll hand those things out. But it's our tradition to sing songs as we hand out the elements and to you guys can sing along with us. You can spend time in your, in your chair quietly praying. Lord, I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful for worship. Lord, I know that I'm not perfect. I know we are not perfect, but Lord, you are. You're worth clinging on to. You're worth having. Lord, I know that people need to be content. I know in our business of life, in this day and age, maybe more than any other, maybe not, I don't know, but it just seems like we run around in a rat race. We look for all kinds of things to fill our life. And the only thing that I want to fill my life is you. Because there, there's peace. There, there's contentment. There, there's life. So, Lord, I pray that we'd be a people that remember that. Remember what you've done for us, what you laid down for us, what it cost you in order to save us. I'm so thankful to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ today. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.